right, all right. Well, welcome everybody to part three. There you go, the lights. All right, part three of Crazy Makers. Look at your neighbor and tell them, come on, our favorite thing so far in this series. So look at your neighbor and tell them they're crazy. So look at your neighbor and say, you're crazy. Yeah, that's just fun. Isn't that great to find some? All right, look at your other neighbor and say, but not as crazy as you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's awesome about church. That church should be fun. You should be able to talk in church and laugh and, uh, and high-five and have a good time. Just so you know, this is what I call a talk-back church, all right? You would say talk-back. Yeah, so if you hear something good that you like, feel free to be like, that's good, Pastor. Amen. You know what I mean? Like, hey, or, you know, swing a hanky or something at me, all right? Just let me know you're alive and I'm not boring you to tears. And so anyway, we're in the middle of a series called Crazy Makers. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up right now. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Guess what? We actually give you my notes on a phone. And here's how to do that is if you open up the Bible app, you can actually download the Bible app, open it up, go to Version and search events and then search our church. And I give you my notes just because like you get the answers to the test. Isn't that awesome? And you can look ahead. If you're like a high C personality and you like walk through, like I'm going to walk and make sure he's following what he's following. And I won't just so you know, because I'm not a high C. But anyway, uh, but you can follow my notes along on version. Make sure you do that. If not, we'll put them up on the screens. We make it easy for you here at Rise Church. I'm so happy that you're here. If you're a guest with us for the very first time, hopefully this is not your last time. Be like, that guy's crazy. So Matthew chapter 27, and uh, we're talking about how to deal with difficult people because we have difficult people in our lives. You have difficult people in your life. And I always say this, that if you don't know who the difficult person is in your life, you are the difficult person in your life. So there's some people in here that need to know how to just deal with themselves. And so we've been talking about really uh, what it's like to be a Christian and deal with difficult people. Because if you're a Christian, now this is different, right? So if you follow and reflect God, then you and I are called to live differently when it comes to difficult people in your life. Now, if you're not a Christian in here, guess what? A lot of this stuff might not make, make much sense to you, and you might not it might not matter, but my desire is that you would consider maybe coming to this thing called Christianity, not because I said so, not even because the Bible says so, but because God did something radical inside of your life, and you had a relationship with Him, and you've realized that, man, living life without God is harder than living life with Him, and we want you to have that opportunity to meet Jesus and connect with Him, and so we're so glad you're, that's why we designed this place. We designed Rise Church to connect people who don't know God to knowing God, and so we want to talk about really how to deal with difficult people because it's different for us, and so Last, uh, the week one of our series, we talked about how first, for us to deal with difficult people properly, we want to be able to look in and then look out, which means this, we want to be able to look into ourselves like we need to see us examine our heart before we start to go around and start judging and looking at other people and saying, hey, you're wrong and hey, you're difficult. We need to realize the difficultness inside of our own lives and how difficult you and I could be. And so uh, we started that week one. Week two, we actually started with this idea and this premise that if we want to be Christians, we need to be first, be patient and not offended, that you and I need to actually live a patient life. And that means really biblically or in the Greek inside scripture, it meant to live patiently or to endure evil toward us. And so you and I are called as Christians to actually endure some of the crazy people in our lives, not just to do it, not to ignore it, but to endure it so that we can lead them to Jesus, so that we can model the Jesus that's supposed to be inside of our lives. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, Week, we're going to talk about something a little unique. So last week was talking about how to keep yourself out of offense. Next week, right, spoiler alert, right, hashtag spoiler. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about what it's like. What do you do now that you're in offense? So if you got caught up in offense, you need to talk. We're going to talk about that, that, that the, the, the F word. 
right? Forgiveness. Okay, that's what it means. All right, we're in church. Come on, don't you know what I'm talking about? So anyway, so we're going to talk about next week called forgiveness because you and I need to know how to forgive. So make sure you come back next week and don't be that person to be like, I don't want to forgive nobody, so I ain't going into that. But you need to come back next week because there's some things about forgiveness that, listen, listen, this is important. There's some things about forgiveness that the church has ruined and gotten wrong. And pastors, people like me, we actually misteach the word forgiveness inside scripture. So we're going to open up what the Bible has to say, not what the person has to say about forgiveness and how it's a, it's a critical, critical way to live. So make sure you're here next week. That's just a, a teaser, a trailer of what's coming Anyway, Matthew chapter 27 is where we're at. Before we start reading, I want to give you some context. So Matthew is simply a book in the Bible. It's inside of the New Testament. It's actually the first book in the New Testament. It's what we call one of the four Gospels. And really, a Gospel is just a life of Jesus. And Matthew chapter 27 kind of is towards the end of the life of Jesus. He lived 33 years. He had a three-year ministry. And, and Jesus does some amazing things. And he, he's going around, and he's healing people, and he's curing blind eyes, and he's doing all these miracles that you and I really really need to have done in our own life. And he gets towards the end and it, what, here's what's happened. He's already had his ministry. Judas, his best, one of his closest friends have actually already betrayed him. He's been arrested. And now he's in the middle of this trial. He's kind of dealing with the person or the government official that's going to be in charge of what happens to him. So he's in sentencing kind of really is what we're talking about. That's the context of where we're at, Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to read this to you, and this is, this is what happens. This is interesting because today we're going to talk about what do you do in the midst of conflict because you and I are going to fall into this thing called conflict because you live with crazy people or you work around crazy people or we live in this world. So we're going to deal with it. And this is what uh, Matthew chapter 27 verse 11 says. This says, now Jesus, this is important, Jesus was standing before Pilate. Okay, Pilate is the head senior official, okay, of the government of that area at that time, the Roman governor, okay? Are you the king of the Jews? This is what he asked. He says, hey, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus, we've heard some things about you. We've heard some stuff about you. I've heard, these people have heard, and, and we want to know, are you what, who you say you are? And, and, and most Bible theologians and, and, and scholars, some believe that he was asking a genuine question. Some believe he was being kind of antagonistic. I mean, at this point, Pilate had to have heard of Jesus. Clearly, they've heard of what he's done. Clearly, they know is what he's... And I, I kind of read it in a way of saying he's kind of being a little antagonistic. Has anybody ever asked you like an antagonizing question? Like, like, you know, like, do you really care? You know what I mean? Like, that's an antagonistic question. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't really care, do you? Like, that's kind of how Pilate's talking to him. And he says this. He says, Jesus, this is his reply. He says, you have said it. He just kind of confirms with it. Well, yeah, that's... why. Well, you're, you're the one who said that. You're, you're, you're saying it. So, okay. Verse 12, he says, but when, leading, when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against them, pause for a moment. Isn't that interesting how it tends to be the overly Christian and overly religious people that always like to point out all the issues? Side note. Anyway, all right. So Jesus remained silent. That's important. Jesus remained silent. So context, right? So people are accusing him of things telling him he is who he is, telling him all these crazy things about him. He's already gone through this kind of sham of a trial, and he's being accused, he's been talked about, he's been slandered, he's been beaten, he's doing all these things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' response was to remain silent. Verse 13 says, don't all these charges they are bringing against you, are, 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 don't you hear all what's happening? Like, Pilate's almost like, hey, aren't you like paying attention? Hey, Jesus, I know you're quiet right now, but like, aren't you listening to all these people that are calling you names and saying all this false accusations about you and talking about you behind your back, all these people betraying you. Like, aren't you paying attention? Are you watching the same movie that I am? Are you reading the same book? 
Don't you know where this is going? They're hurting you. Why aren't you reacting? Where's the, where, 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 why don't you say something? Why don't you do something? He's like, I, I, this makes no sense. Verse 14, he says, then Jesus had no response. Again, he had no response to any of these charges, much to the governor's surprise. All right. Interesting story. So turn with your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So 2 Corinthians, again, is a context I want you guys to know, is a letter written to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a city, and Jesus is real, or Paul was writing to uh, this church in Corinth, again, about relational connection. And Paul actually, he, he reminds people, he reminds people who they are and what their purpose is. When it comes to dealing with other people. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, so we're, we're switching books, we're switching chapters. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, and he says, this is Paul writing to them. He says, therefore we, everybody say we. we. Come on, this is important, say we. we. Okay, we, that's we, me, you. Those who know, those who know better, those who know God. If you know God and you know of God, if you call yourself a Christian in the church, you know better. Those, therefore, we are ambassadors. That's important. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What he's talking to, he's not talking to a non-believer. He's talking to a believer. He's telling those who know Jesus, those who know Christ as their God, we need you to be reconciled. We need you to remember you're an ambassador, that you represent the king. No longer you. You took your personal jersey off. When you enjoined the kingdom of God and you put the Christian jersey on. Verse 21, he says, for your sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So what he's saying is he's saying, God sent Jesus. He made him into sin so that for the person who didn't know sin to actually die on the cross for us, for our sins. So that in him, Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Interesting letter that Paul writes to the Christians in Corinth about how to deal with difficult people. If you're taking notes today, the third thing I want to talk about how to deal with difficult people is today, when it comes to conflict, be kind, not right. Be kind, not right. Everybody say, be kind, not right. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Thank you that you're here today, God. We have opened up the scriptures. We've, we've unpacked your word. And today, God, I pray that to, today you would speak to us. You would do it, Holy Spirit, what only you can do with the words and the letters and the sermon that we've prepared, God, for the people. We pray that you would plant it deep in the hearts of our people, of the church of God, and that they would walk out of here different than the way that we walked in, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. How many of you here like food? Raise your hand if you're a foodie. You're like a food person, all right? Yeah, yeah, I love food. Food is interesting because, you know, food is I'm, a, I'm, I'm half Native American and I'm half Mexican. And so I love having just, like, anytime my family gets together, we have food. It doesn't matter. You don't need to have a celebration. It doesn't need to be a birthday. It doesn't need to be a holiday. All we do is if we want to get together, guess what we do? We eat. Right? Is anybody else like that? Anybody else families like that? Like, if my, my grandma used to, she would, if there was something was wrong with me, she goes, Oh, honey, are you sick? I bring you over enchiladas. I'm like, Okay, I'm sick. Like, I can't eat them, but thank you. That's how we show love in our family. But I'm a food person, and one of my favorite foods, uh, one of my favorite types of foods is Mexican. I love Mexican food. I'm Mexican. I'm, clearly, I love that. It's great. But one of my favorite types of Mexican food is flautas. Anybody know what a flauta is? You know what I'm talking about? And most, some people don't know. They're like, oh, a taquito. No, that's not what a flauta is. Some people go, oh, a burrito. No, that's not what a flauta is. It's like right in the middle. It's a tortilla, for those of you who don't know, maybe you grew up 
somewhere not in, in the world. And so, you know, you, it's a tortilla and you put meat and cheese in it. And then the best part is you deep fry that bad boy, right? You just throw it right in the fryer or if you put it on the pan and there's oil and there's cheese and there's chicken and you open it up and it's just, oh, it's amazing. And so anyway, I love me a flauta. I love a good, a good Mexican meal is what I like. And so uh, about... Uh, I would say maybe 15 years ago or something along those lines. It was a long, long time ago. It was right when I first got married. And uh, how long have we been married, babe? Never mind. Don't answer that. So, all right. So, we've been married as long as we've been married. And it was a long time ago. And uh, I remember I first got married. And uh, I'm going to tell you a story a little bit that you all can't judge me, okay? So, we're just going to take our judging hats off. And then when I'm done with the story, you can put them back on <laughs> your eyes. Anyway, so anyway. Um, but like, so we just got married. And I told my wife I was really craving some Mexican food. And there was this great little Mexican joint right down next to our apartment. And I, I wanted these flautas that they used to make, and they would put these flautas in them in like this plate, and they would line them together, and then they would like cover it with a layer of cheese. There was already cheese in the flauta, but they put cheese on top of the flautas, and then they put lettuce, and they put sour cream, a little bit of salsa, and then oh my, is anybody getting hungry? So anyway, so like it was just so good, and I just love the way it is. But one thing that they did that they ruined it, they ruined the flautas. They put onions on it, and I don't know if you guys know this or not, but onions are not of God. They really aren't. <laughs> They're not. And you, you can argue with me all you want, but this is America. You have a right to be wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> onions are the worst. And so they would like put onions on top of it. I'm like, I don't want onions because I'm right. You're wrong. You need to make sure that there's no onions on this. So I ordered, right? I ordered. I called them up and I said, hey, I want to order of your flautas. But listen, no cebolla, okay? No onions. Do not put onion, please. I be, I'm begging you. I would ask him, and they go, "Okay, yeah, no onions, no problem." And I said, "But I, I need you to tell me it back. Like I need to hear you say it. You're not gonna put onions on my flautas." They're like, "Oh yeah, no problem, no problem." I'm like, okay, go, 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 go. So I'm like, I'm waiting. And if you guys have ever ordered food and waited for food to come, y'all know what I'm talking about. You you can taste it before you eat it. And I'm starting to get hungry. My wife, she goes and gets it. She's so sweet. We don't have any kids yet. And it's, you know, it's normal. And we feel like, because, you know, when you don't have any children and you're married and you look around and you see all the people with kids, you judge them like crazy. You know, you're like, oh, I'm, man, when my kid gets older, they'll never do that. And that ain't right. Because when they, you're actually, you're absolutely right. They do all that and more when you, you know, when you have your kids, parents, you know what I'm talking about. So anyway, I'm waiting for my flounces to come. My wife walks in and I'm just so happy. But I can almost, onions have this way of smelling. And I hate them so much, you know, I can tell when they're there. And I'm like, mm, she walks in and I can kind of get a waft of them. And I, part of me was happy because it was food. And then the other part of me was like, they're wrong. There's something not right. There's, I think there's an onion on it. And I open it up and to my chagrin, is that a word, chagrin? Is that a thing? I don't know. I think I heard that one time. To my disappointment for normal people, for my disappointment, I looked down and there were just, it wasn't like there were small onions on there or like they put one onion or two onions. They took, it's like they took the onion and they put it in a blender and then they just, they covered it with onion sauce because I could not believe what I saw. So in my holiness, because I was a pastor at the time, because I'm a Christian, and I, I, I responded in the way that you would expect me to respond. I grabbed one of those flautas, and I picked it up, and I looked at it, and I said, I looked at my wife, and I said, why would you not check if there were onions on my flauta? And in the most Christian way, I picked it up, and I threw, I'm not kidding you, I threw this flauta into the sink, 
and I threw it in a way, and I don't even know how this happened, baby. I don't know, but I'm sorry. I, I think I've apologized to you multiple times. Please forgive me for this, but I threw the flauta, and it ricocheted off the sink, and it flew, and it hit some, like, picture on the wall <laughs> in our living room. And I looked at my wife, and she goes, I, I don't even know what to say to you. She says, she literally, she goes, she goes, I'm speechless. And she, she did what every Christian woman probably should in that moment. She got her purse, and she walked out, and that was it. That was the last conversation we had about those flautas. Now, I was sitting there. Now, why do I tell you that crazy story? In that moment, I was right. I made my clear order to these people. I said, hey, listen, I don't want onions. Okay, but not only that, I don't want onions. I need you to repeat back to me there's no onions. And then I need you to verify with me. There was no Grubhub at the time, you know, where you can kind of walk through it or whatever. But I'm like, I need to make sure you heard me. There are no onions. I ordered right, yet... When it came back, I saw it was wrong. And in my rightness, in my rightness, I realized it made me and it caused me to not react and respond in a way that I think would probably, you and I would probably agree now was not so Christian. Isn't it hard? Isn't it hard? Babe, you're not supposed to amen at that part. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, isn't it hard to, to, to respond as God would have us respond sometimes? Like, I don't know if you've ever had a wrong order like that, but that's, that's tough. Y'all know what I'm, y'all feel my pain? Can anybody feel my pain when the, when the restaurant got your order wrong? Can, does anybody feel my pain when you, you know, you, you, you go out of your way to help someone and you honor them and you do everything that you've done more for them than you've done, they've, than anyone else in your life. And they, they turned around and they said those words, you don't do nothing for me. Has anybody hurt when you have those moments when someone walks up to you and accuses you of something you didn't do, but they saw you thought you did, they thought, they thought what they thought you thought you thought, and then they thought and we thought, and then now everybody's thinking, right, <laughs> that they thought what you thought you did, and you got hurt. Has anybody had that moment when you felt like, man, you were slandered, you were talked about, you were accused, you were betrayed, you were hurt, you were offended, something hurt you? And then you reacted and you didn't respond. Conflict is inevitable. But I think this God has something to say about conflict. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. I want to break down that verse just real quick for you. Because you and I need to respond not as we would respond, as God would respond. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this. says, uh, therefore we are ambassadors. Everybody say ambassadors. Number one about conflict you need to realize is that you are ambassadors of Christ, not yourself. What does that mean? What is an ambassador? What, what does an ambassador actually do? You need to know this. An ambassador represents the will of the leader who sent them. The United States has an ambassador. It represents the will of the leader who sent them. Every country has an ambassador. You and I are ambassadors of Christ. You and I do not represent our will. Let me say that again. You and I don't represent our will. I'll say it with a smile. You and I don't represent our will. We don't. Because here's the deal. Every time I get my order wrong, I want to respond the way I did a decade ago. Because I don't want to respond the way God would have me respond. I want to respond the way I want to respond. I'm right. I am right. Listen, I'm a high D personality. I'm very structured. I'm very, very well read. I like to read. I got five or six leadership books I read at a time. Listen, there's not a lot of things that I haven't put at least my eyes to. And so I at least have some semblance of being right. And if I get in an argument, let me tell you, I want to win. <laughs> Yet I forget in the process of me winning, I'm really losing. You know this if you're married, guys. 
Have you ever fought with your wife and you won, but you didn't? <laughs> but you didn't. You were right. Oh, you, but you were right. Bless God. But yet you, you lost. And when you forget you're an ambassador of Christ, you start doing your will instead of God's will. And it doesn't produce God's ways. It doesn't produce God's blessing. Do it God's way. It produces God's blessing. So you and I know with our boss, who's crazy, with our kids, who are crazy, with our cousins, who are crazy, our family, who is crazy, with our spouse, who might be crazy at times. If you forget you're an ambassador of Christ, you do what you want, forget what you desire. When you plant those seeds, you get your rewards. But if you plant God's seeds, if you do God's way, if you become an ambassador of God, if you don't forget, Paul is reminding us in relational conflict, first remember, you're an ambassador of God. On social media, what? Oh, 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 oh. can I post that? Can I push that bruise? Can I, can I push that one? Oh, I got to let the world know how I feel. Do you? You're an ambassador of God. What you post, what you play, what you, what, you, what you put on there. Hey, I'm just over here. What pictures you put up, what sentences you say. Social media is an incredible tool. I'm not anti-social. I love social media. Social media is an incredible tool, but that's what it is. It's a tool. It could either be used. It's like a hammer. It could be used to build something or it could be used to destroy. And if you're not careful, you forget who you represent. Not the rightness of God. It's, it's, it's the righteousness of God. That's the second part that he says. He says that's the second thing we need to remind ourselves. The second part of it is that we need to remember, remember we're, rep, we're ambassadors representing God so that we can be the righteousness of God, not the rightness of God. God didn't die so that you could be the rightness police. Come on. God didn't die so you can be the rightness police. That was the Pharisees. Look how good it turned out for them. When Jesus showed up, all things changed for all the Pharisees of the world. Why? Because Jesus came and established a new covenant. He says, hey, I'm the rightness. I am the right. Jesus is the rightness. You can be his righteousness now because of him who knew no sin, now took on sin and took all of our sin and became sin so that we can sin no more. You don't not sin because you try really hard. You not sin because Jesus is in your life and you represent him. The more you represent him, it's pretty amazing how often you don't do you start to be good. Like, I'll be good, pa- I'll be good, pastor. I'll be good, and then Jesus will love me. That's backwards thinking. That's not the gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Start there. Jesus came, established his new covenant. Stop living old covenant living. You and I are not the rightness police. You are the righteousness as we put God on. And if you're not careful, our pursuit in being right will convolute and cloud our purpose in being righteous. Your purpose is to be the righteousness of God. Reflect God. And for some of us, that's hard to do because you heard that you need to make sure everybody's not a sinner. You grew up making sure, hey, you know that's a sin, right? Forgetting that if you would just reflect the love of Jesus, you'd be surprised how people just kind of, you better, people around you start getting better. Because Jesus never, Jesus was the rightness of God. That's what we're called to do, to reflect Jesus. So what is kindness? What is this thing called kindness? Because love is is patient, love is kind. Paul talks about 2 Corinthians 13. We started about it in our series. He said, love is kind, love is kind. What is kindness? Like, that's an interesting question because that, that word like love is thrown around a lot. 
Like, what is biblical kindness? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. Uh, in the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew kind of ism of that was cassette, and it meant this. It meant loving kindness. It meant loving kindness. Did you know that in the, the Hebrew Jewish culture, for especially for rabbis, especially for those who were known to reflect God or Jehovah, the way that one of the main characteristics, the main ideas of what it was to follow Jehovah was kindness, not rightness. Did you know that? That it was a characteristic of those who followed him. It was how people knew they followed and served the one true God. So they measured your holiness. Listen, listen, listen. Please hear that. If you don't miss, if you miss everything else, and all you're thinking about is flautas right now, lock in right here, okay? For them, their, their method of measuring holiness was based on their level of kindness. Loving kindness. In the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, it's mentioned 190 times. You don't think it's that important? It's really important. And how often do we as church Christians, church goers, people who know God, who know better, walk around without it and say, kindness is a byproduct of truthness. That's not true. Paul even talked about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, love is kind. And before he gets into what love was, he rebuked those who perverted it. Because a lot of people walked around and said, what's your spirituality? That's what makes you a Christian. He said, "That's not. if you have no love, you're, you're lost. He said, if it's your, your prophetic gift. He said, no, if you have no love, you're lost. He said, if you have all the truth and all the truth bomb tellers, you're, if you don't have love, you're lost. He said, if you become a martyr and you give everything away and you're super generous, but you don't do it with the backdrop of love and do it in a loving, kind way, you're missing the point of Jesus. And you have to receive that. Come on, like some people in here have to receive that. It was an important part of the way they reflected God. And then even in the Greek, Christeumai meant, meant this idea. This is important. It meant full service to others. So God's purpose, okay, this means, this is what all this means, the kindness means. God's purpose for kindness, okay, God's kindness is purpose. This is what its purpose was. It was designed to give every person a chance to turn from their sin. That's important. Okay? You're not kind to just be kind. Your kind has a purpose. Your kindness, your ki how you treat people has a purpose. Its purpose is to turn people, give people the opportunity to turn from their sin. But yet you and I think oftentimes it's our truthness that gives people the opportunity to turn from sin. Well, if I tell them where they're wrong, then they'll turn. How often has that happened? You ever had that before? You got into an argument with someone on Facebook and you knew what was right and they knew what was right? Who won? No one. But Jesus, God's designed kindness to give people the opportunity. Maybe he knows something about kindness, maybe about people that we don't know. I'll read it to you, Romans chapter 2, he says this, he says, don't you, don't you see, Paul saying this, Paul in Romans, he say, don't you, don't you see, like, get this. How wonderfully, this is God, he's, he's, he's talking about God. Paul's writing to the Roman church, Rome, Rome, Rome. He's writing to Rome, Rome. He, he says, how wonderfully kind, kind, God is kind. You might be in here right now feeling like God was mad at you. God is mean. God is angry. God is, God is, is sitting on a dark cloud with a lightning bolt ready to throw when you do something wrong. God is kind tolerant and patient. We talked about that last week. Patient God is with you. 
Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness? What's the point of the kindness? His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. He said, not your, not your, wait, I read, wait, his truth is intended to turn you, oh, no, no, his, your holiness is, it's a, no, your kindness, God's kindness. So if you reflect God, then your kindness purpose is this. When you're kind to someone, someone's given it to you, you're in an argument, you have a conflict, and you choose to be kind and not right, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm choosing to walk in God's purpose for kindness. I'm going to give you what you did not give me. If that's not an overwhelming sense of grace in our life, may we forget, may we never forget what God did for you so that you can always do it for others. That in your kindness, man, that's like a bomb. Anyway, all right, in your kindness, you will actually help, listen to me, you'll you'll help give them the opportunity to turn from sin. That doesn't mean they always will, but you gave them the best opportunity to it. That's the purpose of our of our kindness. So what does this kindness look like in the time we have left? What does this kindness look like? Because you're going to have to have confrontation. You're going to have an issue. You're going to have a problem. What do you do when you have to be this kind? Number one is this. This is what this kindness looks like. There are people, kind people confront well. Kind people confront well. Kind people know how to work biblical confrontation. Matthew chapter 27. This is Pilate asking, aren't you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said it. He didn't argue. He didn't set out to be right. Listen, if there was anybody right in this world that's ever walked the earth, there's never been anybody more right than Jesus. Even non-Christians could probably agree with that. They'd be like, listen, I don't even know if Jesus was son, but that dude was awesome. Let me just tell you, he was amazing because he changed the world forever. There are more people who believe in him forever. So they're like, oh, Jesus said, I'm I'm not going to argue. I'm so right he could have said, listen, let me show you. It's God, right? He's on the earth. He could have pulled up like his iPad back then. He could have been like, y'all don't even know what this is, but I'm going to bring it out. Let me show you a little video of exactly what my life has been like. Let me prove it to you. I am right. I am the rightness of God. I'm right. But he didn't. He said, oh, yeah. okay, well, you said it. I don't. He didn't argue. He didn't prove it. He didn't make them feel stupid. He didn't shut them down. He didn't, he didn't embarrass them in front of everybody. He didn't call down the angels and show off to everyone. He didn't choose to be right. He chose to be kind. What was he doing? Why did he do that? He wanted to give them an opportunity to turn from their sin. That's the purpose of kindness. So two ways we do this with confrontation. Number one is this. We confront to restore, not argue. We confront to restore, not argue. Our goal in confrontation, let me just tell you, everybody in here, our goal should be to confront, to restore, not argue. You're not trying to win a debate. You're not trying to be right in every situation. You're trying to be righteous. We talked about our purpose in being righteous. Your goal is to restore someone gently. Galatians chapter 6 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you live by the Spirit. You who know better better should restore that person gently. You should have a gift and a spirit of restoration inside of your life because this, you know this to be true. Truth delivered poorly is always ignored. You could be the most truthful person in the world, but if you walk around giving the truth in the worst way, ain't nobody going to listen. Ain't nobody going to listen. And you've tried it before. Like, well, I'm so right. I'm going to just give them, I'm going to give them that little truth bomb and let them marinate on it. That never works. It never works. 
Why? Because people are weird and people are, they're, they're, people are not like God. So they want to argue with you. So if those who want to argue with you, what do you and you start arguing with them, what happens? An argument. One plus one is two. This is an easy church. All right, I'm telling you, we're not going deep. <laughs> what happens when you want to argue and the other person wants to argue? What did you learn in church? People like to argue. Yeah. When you want to argue, it's pretty easy to find someone to argue with. I like 2 Timothy. He says, don't you have anything to do with foolish, stupid arguments because they know they, you know that they produce quarrels. All you're going to do is fight. And you're not here to fight. You're here to be righteous. Number two is this. They confront with understanding. Kindness seeks to understand before it's understood. Proverbs chapter 18 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expresses his opinion. Those who don't walk with kindness in their confrontations and in their conflicts always look to impose their will and not hear the other person. You know that. Because you've been in a conversation where you're like, can you just let me talk? I just want to get a word. And you're cut off all the time. Why? Because the foolish person always wants to just tell you their side. They always want to tell you what they see. They always want to tell you how they're doing. And they never want to understand before they are understood. We go in there going, I want to understand you. I'm going to assume I see this wrong. I'm hurt. My feelings matter. I'm going to consider those. But before I react, I'm going to respond the way God would have me respond. With kindness. And I'm going to assume that I don't see the whole picture. I'm going to assume, I'm, going to, I'm just going to put myself in the position of going, hey, I don't see this 100%. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to give you an opportunity to turn from the sin. Come on. This isn't like, the Bible makes sense, y'all. Like, it's not complicated. We complicate, I complicate, pastors complicate it. We complicate it. Christians complicate it. It's not, it's not complicated. God wants the best for you, and in our relationships, we have to seek to understand. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to just, I'm going to, can I just give a simple lesson on confrontation real quick here, okay? If someone offends you, someone hurts you, someone taught anything, you catch them. Even if you feel like you see it and you caught them, you know what I'm saying? You caught them. Here's a way that you can actually confront with kindness and seek to understand. I'm going to use me as an example. Let's say one day I offend you, Okay which my desire is never to hurt people's feelings in terms of, you know, I don't want you to feel like I, I said something that was offensive personally to you. Now, sometimes I might offend you biblically because you might have a belief system inside of your heart that you've lived with forever that's contrary to the word of God. And I want to share with you a principle that could actually be contrary to how you believe and maybe how you think, but I don't want to, and that might be offensive to you personally because it doesn't line up with your lifestyle and scripture, but I don't want to ever offend you or hurt you. That's not our desire at our church. That's not, that's not who we are, okay? I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to build you up. My job is to steward this place. I don't even own this church. I don't own this church. It's not my church. This is y'all's church more than it's mine, okay? So my job is never to offend you, but if maybe one day I will, because I'm human, and I say crazy things, you have heard this message already. I say crazy stuff. Sometimes I might, there might be a moment where I offend you. Here's how a kind Christian does it. All of my leaders, all of the church leaders in here, y'all need to listen to this. This is important, okay? This is the church culture we want to have. If something happens to you, someone offends you, if I hurt you, this is the kind way to do it. You don't walk up and go, hey, I know you did this. This is what happened, and you did all this, and I know you meant to, and here's what happens, and you hurt me, and I want to be, and I need you to tell me you're sorry, which I've had happen regularly as a pastor. Almost two decades of this, it kind of happens. It comes with the territory. But a Christian, Christ-like follower, I would dare to say those who followed Jehovah back in the day, rabbinical rabbis who followed God and understood the methods of Jesus, this is how we confront in our church, okay? This is how we do it. Hey, pastor, I got hurt when this was said. 
when I saw that when this happened. I don't think I see it clearly. There's probably more to it than that. And I just wanted to share that with you because I don't want it to harbor in my heart. And I just was hoping to find some clarity. I was hoping that you would share with me just maybe the whole story of that. Or I, I think I'm seeing this wrong. I don't know if this is, I don't even know if I see this right. I could be completely wrong. Would you share with me just what your, your take on that situation was? Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? Because in the other way, it's accusatory. You did this. You did that. I know you meant. You meant to hurt. And, blah, 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 and you better say sorry or I'm out. Or it's a, hey, I, I don't know. I could, I don't know. No one sees. The Bible says we see through a glass darkly. We, no one sees clearly ourselves especially. When you look in the mirror, you're still not seeing. It's distorted. No one sees each other clearly. No one sees every situation clearly. And so for us as Christians, we need to walk with understanding. Hey, I don't I, I want to understand what happened before I tell you what I saw happen. And what often happens in those moments, in those cases, when you confront to understand with kindness, you'll see you didn't see the whole story. Or if you did see it clearly, it gives them the, the proper position to actually, hear, listen, listen, it gives them the ability to turn from their sin. No one who's accused wants to go, yeah, man, I can't believe that you caught me. All right, I'm sorry. No one says that. They always go, they always guard, right? Because if you're attacked, you guard yourself. And you set people up to not repent when you accuse them of something. That's so good. That might have went over a few balls. I'm telling you, that'll change your life. That'll change your life. That's good. I, I, amen, Pastor. All right. All right. I'm almost done. I'm, I'm wrapping it up. I'm, I'm done. People who confront well, the second form of kindness in people is people who don't engage. This is important. I want you to understand this. There are going to be times when you have a conflict with someone that it is biblical to not engage with them. What did Jesus do? Jesus was accused. Jesus was harassed. And what did Jesus do? He didn't respond. He did not respond. I'm the most competitive person you'll probably ever find in the world. And it's hard for a competitive person not to... Like, you throw down the gauntlet... Let's go. Like, I want to win. I desire to win. It's how I'm made. It's how I'm wired in a lot of ways. But I can't rest on who God, oh, this is the way God made me. You ever hear that from people? You know, they offend you, they hurt you, and then they go, sorry, it's just the way God made me. Uh, you're a new creation in Christ. I love when people tell me that. I'm like, sorry, it's just the way God made me. Uh, you're a new creation in Christ. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, Pastor. I'm like, don't mess with me. I got Bible all for days. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that, too. It's hard for competitive people or people who want to win not to respond, not to engage. But I want you to know that could be the most biblical thing in your life sometimes. Sometimes there's no winning. The Bible talks about don't, don't argue with a fool don't argue with the fool. If people got to a conclusion illogically, you can't logically walk them out of it. And some of you right now are like walking them in. You're like, you're crazy. Let me logically tell you how you're crazy. That don't make no sense to them. You just, they're crazy. You can't reason with unreason. That's Bible. You cannot reason with unreasonable people. And if you're not careful, you wind up running around in a circle and hurting yourself and hurting them and not reflecting God. It's really hard to be kind with someone when they don't, they act crazy. They're cray. And there are some cray people out there, I'm just telling you. I'm competitive as, as the next person. I mean, I'm not even allowed to play 
you know, games with my children. I got five boys, and you know, I play Uno. <laughs> the other night I was playing Uno with my boys, you know, and I'm like, and you know, I'm supposed to be the dad that like, you know, lets them win, you know what I mean? I don't even know what that means, you know, and I'm like, I'm in there, and I'm like, Uno, 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 <laughs> Uno, I got one more, and I, when I win, I'm like slapping down, like, yeah, in your face, Riley, you know, <laughs> crying and stuff, I'm like, yeah, my wife's just like, so I'm not allowed to play games with them anymore, so, um, <laughs> but some of us are like that with people, like some of us Christians, especially if you're Christian, you, you're like that with people, people will see you from a distance, and you're just giving it to someone, and they're in tears, and they're like, oh, I don't know what I did. And you're like, yeah, in your face, sinner. In your face. Come on, God, high five. And God's like, don't, that ain't me. Don't, 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 don't represent my name. Take my jersey off. <laughs> Why? Because when you're kind, you reflect the heart of God. When you're kind, you reflect the heart of God. Let's say that together. When I'm kind, I reflect the heart of God. Say that again. When I'm kind... I reflect the heart of God. All right, I'm close with this. I'm done. Romans chapter 2 says this. Romans chapter 2 says, Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Other translations might say it's, it's the goodness of God. Goodness, kindness. It's, the, it's, it's his God is a good God. God is like God the Father. He's, he's referenced as a father figure, that he, he sees you as children. He sees you as kids. He wants, like you want your children to do well and want to be protected. He wants to, he desperately desires to see you do some amazing things in this world. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that brings us and draws us in. It's God's kindness. Are y'all getting the theme of today's message? It's God's kindness. May we be a kind church. May you be a kind Christian. May you assume you don't see everything. May you confront well with understanding. May you confront in a way that restores people. I want to restore and help you get to where you're trying to go because if I restore and I understand you, then I can understand me. It's inside of my kindness that I not just realize your mistakes, but I also realize my mistakes that might have put you in that position. It allows me to turn from my sin, not just turn you from your sin. It's, I'm kind, and it's God's kindness because we reflect Him. And we're ambassadors of Him. And if you're in here right now and you've never given your life to Jesus because maybe you were in a church that felt like all they talked about was God's wrath. There is God's wrath. Jesus came and took God's wrath for us so that you can live. He who knew no sin took on sin for those who had sin all over their life. God sent Jesus because he desperately loves you. It's his kindness. Come on, I don't want to pastor a church that's not kind. I don't want to go to a church that's not kind. I don't want to represent a church that's not kind. That's not the God that we serve. Come on, let me pastor you for a minute. Is that okay? Is this okay? I'm a push. I'm a push. Don't walk out of these doors and forget it's God's kindness that leads men to repentance. If you want somebody to stop sinning against you, the best thing you could do for them is be kind to them. You don't need to win an argument. You don't need to win the theological battle. You don't need to be right in every situation. You don't need to find every place in every situation that they failed and messed around with. It's God's kindness, church.